You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Health Scare, which originally aired December 9th, 2001, was directed by Todd Holland, and written by Dan Kobelman. Hi, I'm Jake, and I'll have you know I'm a high school dropout. And I'm David, and we've discussed it already, and I get full custody. Oh, no. <laughs> I think, though, it's ju- we're just fighting for custody of Eric, so... Before we get into this week's episode, we have a brief community segment. We've got some poll results and some uh, very big, definitely for sure true news about a certain listener that we'll save to the end of the community segment. What? <laughs> uh, I love how confused you are by my dumb bit. <laughs> I'm very confused, Jake. We don't discuss this stuff, guys. I, I, I want you to know, I'm just as in the dark as you are. Uh, about our very famous listener that we definitely have, David. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. All right. No, I do know this one. I'm not in the dark. I'm just dumb. <laughs> okay, but uh, getting to the poll results, and this is looking all the way back on Malcolm's girlfriend. Uh, wow. As we had that interview episode uh, in between. Oh, dude, that was so good and so much fun. And thank you so much to Michael Gloverman for letting us do that and have that opportunity. I hope you guys, the audience, enjoyed it as much as we did because it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, it was super fun. It was a very cool guy to talk to. But uh, for the poll results, uh, back in Malcolm's Girlfriend, David chose Reese as the least shitty kid uh, in sort of our standard uh, process of elimination style. (laughs) Uh, Whereas I chose Francis uh, because I didn't consider soap opera uh, characters to be people. So uh, him not telling the sheriff about the affair didn't bother me. Wow. And the internet agreed. Uh, wow. Francis won with 50% of the vote. Dewey actually beat out your choice, uh, with Reese coming in third with only 16.7% of the vote. Wow. That's some real Josh from Des Moines numbers there. I mean, I, I think Josh from Des Moines was agreeing with you this time, David. That was the outlier vote. But we did agree on Shittiest Kid. Naturally. For the episode, uh, because we 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 both chose Dewey, although that was the episode where you pretended not to, <laughs> uh, for you know, co-opting this poor kid's birthday party to be his dream birthday party. Uh, Dewey. Uh, I mean, look, it's ingenious, but it's evil. Yes, and uh, the internet overwhelmingly agreed with us. Dewey got eighty percent of the vote, with Malcolm understandably taking the other twenty percent. Yeah, that's fair. That's that's very rational. I, I can't even call that a Josh from Des Moines vote. That, no. that, that just makes sense. Yeah, Josh didn't vote in that one. But yeah, then, you know, the, uh, the, the big celebrity news is that we've 100% for sure guaranteed confirmed that Taika Waititi listens to our podcast. So, you know, we, we, we just wanted to give a special shout out. To Taika Waititi, who definitely for sure listens to this podcast, 100%. Yeah, 1,000%. Uh, and, and we know this because we broke into the uh, top 100 in our category in New Zealand. So statistically, it's impossible that he doesn't listen. Yeah, we're basically best friends now. Oh, yeah, basically. Yeah. We haven't talked 
But right. like, we're best friends though. Yeah, it's like it's like when you stare at somebody on the subway, you lock eyes, you know, you make that connection. That's what this is like. And yes, it's exactly like that. And you're like, why is that person looking away from me awkwardly? And you just keep staring. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was going for more of the, it's exactly like that. Because I've never been on a subway. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, with those votes and uh, that bit out of the way... <laughs> Let's get into this week's episode. Oh boy, is it a good one. Well, uh, to get into the episode, we, as usual, have a cold open. This one is one of my favorites. I sort of think of it as, like, the definitive Malcolm in the Middle cold open. Huh. Okay. It's a very good cold open. It's a very relatable cold open, and it's a very Hal cold open. Uh, It starts with him... Uh, realizing a light bulb is out, and he uh, you know, goes over and checks it. Then he goes to get a new light bulb, but when he does, the shelf that the light bulbs are on breaks. So he goes to a drawer and you know opens it up and pulls out a screwdriver. But as he does, he realizes that the uh, drawer it was in is squeaky, so he goes out to the garage to get some WD-40 to fix it. But then he realizes his WD-40 can is empty, so he goes to get into the car, and it doesn't start. Uh, the engine starts knocking. Yes. And Lois, uh, it cuts to Lois, uh, like, coming out the door, asking Hal to change the light bulb, and it cuts back to him with the engine, like, pulled out of the car as he's underneath it working with the car jacked up, and he just screams, What does it look like I'm doing? Yeah, I, I absolutely love this. Uh <laughs> It's such a howl moment, and it's so funny. Also, it's it's another one of those, you know, howl as a dad thing. Um, it's so much like my dad and your dad and that sort of... I have it too, but for, I guess, different things. I'm, I'm not pulling an engine out of the car. But, you know, you start doing one project, and then you realize something else needs done. And, you know, it's just a rabbit hole of things I gotta fix. Uh-huh. And then in the end, nothing gets fixed. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's very true. (laughs) Every project is half done. Yeah. Getting into the episode proper, as we always do when one is present, we will begin with the F-plot. Good old Francis. And it starts with Francis painting the kitchen of the uh, logging camp, like, common area. Lodge, whatever this building is. It's a store slash something. Yes. It's like it's like a diner store fight club. But as he's painting, Lavernia starts yelling at him, calling him the dumbest man in the world, and just tearing into him because he is using white paint in a kitchen. And who uses white paint in a kitchen? Can confirm, have worked in kitchens with white paint. Awful. You see everything that's on the walls. Yes, that is a fair point. Uh, But Francis says that he just used the paint that she laid out for him. And she said she didn't lay it out for him. She moved it out of the way of the green paint she wanted him to use. Ah, yes. It was very clear instructions. She's clearly worked for corporate America. 
and and this is where my intro line comes from as uh she calls him college boy and uh asks him you know uh, what's even the point of all that college you you did and he points out he's a high school dropout. He, he did not go to college, but they will call him college boy through the rest of the episode regardless. Yep. But I mean, I get it. Francis, look, Francis looks like a college frat boy, if nothing else. Fair enough, I suppose. Uh, but as she's walking away, Francis mutters to himself that maybe he'll just paint the wall the same color as her dye job. And she turns and... Asks, what did you say? And Eric tries to intervene and say he he didn't say anything. But Francis, of course, turns and tells her exactly what he said. Then adds quite a few insults on top of it. Yeah, I think he called her leather-skinned and a couple other just, just mean things. Bad Francis. It's very uncouth. And she says she is going to kick his ass. Fair. And of course, all of the loggers immediately get excited for this, and they schedule a time for them. They say they have an opening at uh, 2 o'clock before Mass. <laughs> then, with, with their fight sort of uh, set up, with Eric uh, sort of explaining that through his actions, he challenged her to a fight. <laughs> because that's how they settle things here. <laughs> Back at the cabin, Francis is insisting that he is not going to fight. Uh, he's talking about how he, he won't hit a girl. And when he, you know, starts insisting that, that he's not going to do it, the other people, uh, Pete and a new uh, logger, who, whose name they never say in this episode. I believe he has one, but it, they never actually say it in the episode. Right, they were just generic loggers to me. Uh, yeah, but the, the the one who shares the cabin, I believe, has a name. I'm going to check real quick. Uh, You're talking about the guy who lives with them now that we haven't seen before, but we're seeing now? Yes, uh, his name is Artie. Ah, as if to imply Lavernia just keeps cramming people into this little cabin. <laughs> yes. Uh, but he, when Francis says that he's not going to fight, gets very excited. And he opens up the cabin door and yells out that they're going to have a coward's cotillion. I really want to know what that is. Because the, the little bit we know about it seems real interesting. Yes, Artie says he'll get the uh, dogs ready. And Pete says he'll get the pig sticker. Then when, when Francis asks what the coward's cotillion is, they explain that it's a little bit different every time. Because they never know what kind of animal the blood will attract. And when Francis asks, you know, are these my only options to, you know, go through with this fight or get whatever horrible torture this is, Artie tells him that the only alternative is the Howdy Stranger. Uh, and we, we never get any explanation for what that is, but Francis looks over to Eric, who just shakes his head. <laughs> they explain that, uh, no, the reason for all of this is because the only entertainment they have up here is when people fight. So when they get robbed of that, then they have to find some other way to entertain themselves. Yeah, so you gotta obviously punish the person who bailed on the fight. Exactly. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. Yes. Then Francis, while he's like uh, shutting the, the kitchen down, turning off the lights and stuff, he finds Lavernia in the meat locker... Uh, practicing, uh, you know, Rocky style as she's punching 
uh, the frozen meat. Then he tries to make peace with her as he comes up to her and tells her that uh, she's, you know, what one of the worst, meanest, pig-headed people he's ever met. But he apologizes for attacking her looks. He shouldn't have done that. No one should have to put up with that. And she takes this as Francis hitting on her, which she immediately turns him down, of course. Well, naturally. I mean, you know, he's he's college boy. Yeah. Francis is, like, thrown by this. He doesn't know how to respond to her, her believing that, you know, all, all this stuff that he said was some sort of attempt to woo her. I don't know. He shudders pretty convincingly. But we then go to the fight... Which initially we see Francis getting like punched back into the crowd and a couple loggers like grab his arms and hold him up while Lavernia continues to just fucking punch him in the face while he doesn't fight back. Yeah, they keep pushing him back to his feet. It's it's phenomenal. I love it. Because you see, you get the, the scene of her punching him in the face and him falling backwards. They catch him, push him back up. And to his credit, he's standing there taking his beating like a college man, not a college boy. That's right. When Francis gets knocked to the ground, his bunkmates sort of come over to him and tell him he has to start fighting back. Uh, she's destroying him. But he, he insists he refuses to hit a girl. And he says that Artie gives him a screwdriver to stab her. <laughs> <laughs> Which Francis also refuses. Uh, but then she grabs him by the hair and, like, drags him back into the circle. God damn it, cow. That's right. God damn it, cow. But back in the center of the ring, Lavernia mounts him and is just hammering him. Uh, you know, telling him to fight back. That he's still refusing. Then she starts telling him that, you know, he needs to run back home to Mama. Where she, she can... Kiss his boo-boos and give him some cocoa. And wipe away his tears. And that finally gets Francis to fight back. So he immediately punches her. And gets to his feet. And says uh, his mother is a control freak. Uh, who would never even think to get him cocoa. <laughs> I love that that's what he sounds like the most insulted about. In his little... I guess not even defense, but like rant about his mom that has reinvigorated his fighting spirit and allows him to knock a tooth out of Lavernia's mouth. Yeah. Uh, but then they have a bit more of an even fight. They trade a couple punches. Then Lavernia gets him in a headlock and they trade some insults back and forth. Then uh, Francis pushes away from her. And they both wind up and Rocky II style punch each other in the face at the exact same time, knocking each other out. That's a solid reference there, Jake. Thanks, David. Then they pull them out of the ring so that the next fight can start. And they, like, lay them together, like, sort of cuddled up together as they're both unconscious. And Francis' bunkmates look down at them and then uh, Eric says, Okay, I'll go get the camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like reluctantly. Yes. <laughs> he, he doesn't want to do this to his friend, but he understands that he has to. Right, it's tradition. Exactly. And that is where the F-plot ends. Yeah, it's a fairly quick F-plot. 
Yeah, it seems seems about seemed about average to me. I, I don't know. It seems like it passed so much faster, but like I don't know why it seems like it's so much shorter. But it it also it doesn't seem to lack any substance. Like it's I don't know. It's a pretty decent F plot. That we kind of have three other plot lines, but we're only going to cover them as two because that's how the episode treats it. As Lois and Hal have sort of their own plot line going on, but we only really see it, like, as background within the other two planes. So that's how we are going to cover it as well. It's a really f- interesting way to do it, and I appreciate it. Yeah, it's an, a really interesting, clever structure that they use here. So which one are we starting with? Uh, we will start with the D plot, the Dewey plot line. Look at you sticking to conventions. I appreciate it, Jacob. It begins with him bringing home the class hamster Bernard. Uh, as they walk in, he tells Bernard, this is my cage. I love, I love the description of the house that way. He takes the hamster into the kitchen where Hal and Lois are sitting at the kitchen table, like sitting very close, like very clearly having a serious discussion, which Dewey interrupts. And he... You know, shows them the hamster and reminds them that he's taking care of it for this entire weekend. And, uh, you know, he, he's going to show them that he can take care of a pet just like he could, you know, a dog. <laughs> and they, like, uh, try to dismiss it. They, they tell him that they're busy talking about something, but he keeps pushing. Yeah, he saw the perfect one. Yeah, he points out that all the other neighbor kids have dogs and he saw a dog at the pet store that would work. Uh, he starts to describe the type of dog, and I don't. I, I think he said it was part Great Dane, part Great Dane, part something else. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's crazy to me. Uh, and he's even already named it Fred. Then they uh, send him away, and he finally leaves. He goes to his room, and he apologizes to Bernard for talking about wanting a dog. <laughs> then he asks Bernard, "Is your brain big enough to get uh, insulted?" And he says, yeah, me neither. <laughs> oh, Dewey. And uh, as he like has his back turned to the cage, uh, talking, Bernard apparently escapes from the cage, like, immediately. As Dewey's talking about, uh, you know, how good he's going to do taking care of him. Then he uh, follows him out uh, back to the kitchen, where we find out the serious conversation going on between Lois and Hal. That Hal had a, you know, routine doctor's checkup, and he uh, is waiting on a biopsy. So apparently he, he has a cancer scare, is sort of the implication. Then, having off-screen recaught Bernard, Dewey puts him in his hamster ball, and then, ta- like, puts him on a big ramp, and, like, launches him over to the couch where Hal is sitting... Uh, and Hal is sitting there sort of absentmindedly just staring off into space until the ball hits him, and then, like, not looking at just sort of patting it, he starts talking to Dewey about how, you know, it has been a long time since we've played ball, hasn't it? And he starts talking about how, you know, he really needs to focus on what's important, and as he's doing this, he, like, picks up the ball and starts to look at it, and when he sees the hamster inside of it, he screams and, like, pushes it away. Yeah, I I love the, like, you get the little Hal staring into the eyes of the hamster, and then the realization hits, and he proceeds to throw Bernard across the room. 
Then Dewey takes Bernard out for a walk with Bernard in his little hamster ball just next to him. And as they're walking, Dewey starts to daydream about, you know, being in a giant hamster ball himself. As he's walking through the neighborhood, you know, saying hi to the neighbors. Uh, There's some road repairs going on. uh, And he, like, flattens some tar for them and they thank him. Then Reese and Malcolm show up, start talking about how dumb they are and how they're going to beat him up. Because they're jealous of how handsome he is. They start throwing rocks at him, but of course the hamster ball protects him. Well, of course. And he moves forward and crushes them both with the hamster ball. (laughs) Also, like, the Dewey's hamster ball is just basically a giant beach ball. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Then Dewey is snapped out of his daydream uh, as a bully from his class named Lance yells to him and wants to see Bernard... Which Dewey doesn't allow, as this kid is a uh, very clearly a creep, especially given what we'll learn about him later. That apparently at one point he brought a fr- a dead frog to school to show everyone. When Dewey refuses to let him see Bernard, he like very creepily says he can wait. It's his turn next week. Then back at home, Dewey is trying to convince Lois to let uh, Dewey keep the hamster. And she's, of course, telling him that he can't. It's the class hamster he has to share with everyone. Dewey tries to explain that he won't be safe. Lance is a creep. His trying to convince Lois is cut off as the phone rings. And Hal, like in a towel, rushes over to the phone to answer it. Very clearly uh, hoping it's a call about the test that they're waiting on. Then uh, we see Dewey's new plan in action, since he's not allowed to keep the hamster. Instead, he puts Bernard in the hamster ball, uh, fills it completely full of food. Yeah, completely covers this poor hamster. Like, all you see now is a hamster ball with food in it. Like, there's no <laughs> there's no hamster anymore. Yes. Then as Dewey is sneaking this hamster ball out of the house... Uh, He passes by uh, Hal and Lois, uh, who are, you know, continuing to talk about how they they just have to wait for the biopsy results. Then he gets Bernard outside and frees him. He just puts the hamster ball down and tells Bernard he has to go. And we we have another movie reference here. Yep. Uh, We we get the Harry and the Hendersons uh, reference of... The hamster keeps coming back to Dewey, and he tells it to leave, and then he finally has to yell that he he never even liked Bernard. Uh, Get out of here, you hamster. I I absolutely love that reference and that scene, especially the way, like, the ball is still full of food. All you see is this hamster ball full of food, and it's, like, rolling back and forth and, like, reacting to what Dewey's saying. It's just absolutely hilarious. Yes. And the last stage of Dewey's plan is he takes a bunch of dryer lint and, like, crafts together a dryer lint hamster that he puts in the cage. And he tells this fake hamster that his name is Bernard. And if Lois does a load of blankets, he'll make a friend for him. As he is, uh, like, putting this into the hamster cage... Uh, is where we find out uh, is how finally gets a call back. Uh, he's 
uh, celebrating as he's finding out that the results are negative. And then he confirms, that's the good one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look, and then resumes celebrating. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and that is where the D plot ends. So from there, we will go to the A plot, which centers around Malcolm and Reese, but also sort of weaves in and out of that Hal and Lois plot line as well. Right. I I do love the fact that you get the, like, sort of the answers to this plot line in the D plot with through Lois and Hal being in the background. Yes. Uh, but the A plot begins with Malcolm and Reese uh, arriving home, arguing about what constitutes a shortcut. <laughs> As Malcolm insists that it has to save time, whereas Reese believes that a shortcut uh, is just not using roads. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you use different road, if you go go off the road, then it's a shortcut. This felt like a very me and you argument. Oh, so, dude, so much. Especially Reese's <laughs> comment, I'm sorry that you always have to be right, or something to that effect. Or you, uh, No, it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry that you can't handle being wrong. That's it, yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Which I think I've said to you at least a million times. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I consider it as my intro line. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, dude, <laughs> and yeah, the the argument of semantics over what is and isn't a shortcut, you know, this widely accepted thing, seems <laughs> like exactly what you and I would argue about. Oh, 100%. And, and it just depends on the day, which one of us is the Reese of that situation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but uh, this, like, uh, comes at the end of the, uh, us finding out from the D-plot... You know, what, what's going on with Hal and Lois as they're still sitting in the kitchen and they're, you know, lo- looking very upset and serious as they walk in and have this conversation. Then Lois sees that their shoes are muddy and she starts yelling at them, immediately telling them that they're grounded for a week. Now, of course, they start complaining that it's not fair uh, and Reese tries to sell Malcolm out. Yeah, it's it's not fair just because Malcolm got his shoes all muddy and dragged him in here. Uh, so good. It is so perfect. It It, it is uh, young men to the T, 100%. Yes. Then uh, as Lois yells back at them, you know, if they keep talking back, they're going to be grounded for two weeks and sends them to their room. They start, you know, trying to uh, figure out what they're so upset about. It seems like they're, you know, more upset than they usually would be for just tracking in some mud. Then, uh, Lois, it, while they're in their room, is nailing their window shut. Uh, she tells them, yeah, she has too much to worry about without them being able to sneak out and get into trouble like they always do. <laughs> and she also tells them that she's going to be watching their door like a hawk, so they shouldn't even try anything while they're grounded. Yeah... I always just got stuck, like, either in the basement where the windows were too small to crawl out of, or, like, up in the, you know, top level where it was two stories off the ground, so I could never... The window was never an option for me sneaking out. I had to figure out better ways to do it. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing about sneaking out your window. For 90% of houses, you're gonna make way more noise than if you just walked out the front door. True. Uh, as Lois is, like, giving her little speech to them, Reese is uh, behind her, 
like making you know uh very typical like mocking gestures like like very just tightened uh like just running his mouth and flailing his arms around <laughs> Lois points out as she finishes up her speech, Reese, there's a mirror right there. <laughs> yeah, you would think he'd be able to notice that, like, he's staring at it. He's pretty dumb. That's fair. <laughs> it's one of his defining features. Uh, then she marches out of the room, and once again we get a line from Malcolm, like, trying to figure out why she's overreacting so much, try- trying to figure out why she's so mad. Then Reese tells Malcolm, uh, you're uh, not willing to do the time, don't do the crime. He's just going to wait it out till Monday, and he lays on the bed. But then Malcolm points out, uh, clearly you don't realize what this weekend is. Uh, It's a party of a girl, and her sister is bringing all of her friends from the Catholic school to this party. uh, Which Reese gets very excited about. Because he's hers that those girls will French kiss you even if they don't like you. It's like a greeting for them. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. He sure does say that. He sure does. I really wish I didn't know people who were like that. Yeah. I I mean, it it is a thing of, like, those, like, single gender schools. Yeah. Do do have a uh, reputation. Uh Uh-huh. I remember the Catholic school, the Catholic girls' school here, uh, had that reputation when we were younger, and uh, it got some of our friends in trouble because they're idiots. Yeah, I mean, in all of my, you know, uh, non-first-hand experience, the the only thing that those schools, you know, really consistently do is uh, ensure a next generation of gays. <laughs> yeah, I, I have. N- Never met someone who went to a single gender school and did not come out either gay or bisexual. <laughs> really? I, you know, I don't know if I actually, well, I know a lot of people who, like, dated people when we were younger. I didn't really hang out with any of those gals. Uh, I don't know that I know anyone who went, like, for more than a semester to a single gender school. Uh, I met... Two in college that did, and then uh, the rest of it admittedly comes from, like, uh, people talking about it on, like, podcasts and stuff about it. But it's, uh, it seems to be a pretty universal experience. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's easier to uh, explore that side of you and let that side of you uh, be known earlier and or, you know, more out there when you're surrounded by the people that you're attracted to. I mean... yeah. Boys will be boys, uh, whether they like girls or boys, Jake. Fair enough. But uh, with, with this, you know, big party on the line, Malcolm swears Reese to secrecy. He says he has a way out of the house, but Reese has to promise not to let anyone know what it is, even though he's an idiot. Oh, God. And Reese agrees, and Malcolm uh, takes him to their closet, and he uh, picks up one of the floorboards uh, that is... You know, a bit broken loose. And Reese says, I am not hitting mom with that. I like that that's immediately where Reese's mind goes. Just straight to violence. Yes. Oh my god. Uh, But Malcolm shows him, no, I've made a tunnel out of the house. And they they discuss how, you know, this makes it so mom doesn't have any power over us. We can sneak out whenever we want. Then... We see the boys preparing to sneak out. So they 
both wake up like instantly at 11 o'clock on the nose. Uh, their eyes just like snap open as they're laying in bed. And they immediately get to work creating their dummies uh, to put in the bed. So it looks like they're still in bed uh, with Malcolm putting a Halloween mask over a basketball for his head. While Reese puts a balloon on his. Complete with uh, he draws some hair, some eyes, and then a smiley face on it. Well yeah, you really gotta sell it, Jake. Exactly. And then they proceed to sneak out. Then it cuts to Hal. In bed, with Lois asleep next to him. Uh, and he's la- laying in bed, unable to sleep. Then he gets up, and, and he goes into the boys' room to check on them. And he you know, sits down in the room, and he starts giving a little like heartwarming speech to what he thinks is the sleeping boys. About how much they mean to him, and how they'll never know how much he loves them. But maybe that's how it's supposed to be. Then... At the end of his little speech, he leans over to give Reese a kiss on the head. And then Reese's head explodes. (laughs) Yes. And Hal screams, (laughs) like jumps, which immediately wakes up Dewey, who is like staring eye to eye (laughs) with the Halloween mask Malcolm left, and he also screams. (laughs) I don't blame him. It was like a creepy old... Like, monster... It's like an old man monster mask. Yes. Uh. (laughs) Then we cut to Reese and Malcolm coming out of the party, talking about how great it was. Malcolm says he made out with a sophomore. He's way ahead of schedule. And Reese says, uh, did you see that TV that got thrown in the pool? That was me! (laughs) I like that Reese went to this party, uh, and he was the one originally talking about kissing all the girls. But uh, all we get about the party experience for him is vandalism. Yes. Which it it is a uh, popular fan theory on the internet that uh, Reese is a closeted gay man. With uh, them pointing to, you know, he he talks a big game about these things, but like anytime it actually comes to it, he he basically never does anything or self-sabotages. Ha. I guess. I mean, sure. Yeah, then the, 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 there is a a very specific episode uh, later on that uh, is, is also fairly important to this theory, but it's a couple seasons out. Okay. Are you talking about... Actually, I might have seen this one. Is it, the, is it uh, when Reese is older and he, like, moves away and gets his own apartment? Uh, no. Okay. Never mind, then. I don't remember if there's anything that relates to that in that episode. Nothing comes to mind. There could be. I I don't know what episode you're talking about. Look, I've, I've, there's one episode uh, that we have yet to hit that I can remember from Malcolm in the Middle having, you know, caught it occasionally on TV, and that's it. We have we have hit all the ones that I, like, vaguely remembered, which was a whole, you know, whopping two Fair enough. But the boys sneak back into their room through their tunnel, and when they open their closet door, they they find Hal and Lois sitting there waiting for them on the edge of the bed, and they also scream. (laughs) Then we see uh, the entire family in the kitchen as Lois is yelling at the boys about how irresponsible they are and, uh, you know, the usual uh, Lois yelling... 
while in the background do his eating some cereal, watching them get scolded. Reese, like, tips their hand as, you know, she's yelling at them for sneaking out, uh, and, uh, talks about how heartless they are, and he says, how heart, uh, how can it be heartless to sneak out and go to a, pl- a party with slutty girls? <laughs> and Malcolm immediately elbows him and says, be cool. And Hal, uh, at that point, starts yelling at them, you know, they, they were out at a party while they were at home worried about them, and, uh, he yells at them a bit, and then, uh... Uh, Hal, you know, g- goes on to tell them that they need to respect Lois. Uh, you know, even if he's gone, they they have to respect Lois. Clearly tied to his cancer scare. And Reese says that he wishes they were dead. And Lois looks, you know, very hurt by this and just walks away. And Hal follows after. And Reese and Malcolm are confused by this. Uh, Reese says, usually she just said she's going to take us with her. Yeah, I absolutely love that little exchange. Reese genuinely looks confused. And and also, I don't know, I think it's a good point to have, especially in a show focusing around young kids, because I definitely, like, I never said that, but, uh, like, I definitely watched some of our friends, you know, yell that at their parents, and I never, I, I couldn't fathom saying that to my parents as a young man, but, like, enough of my friends did, and it, it's just, it's it's crazy, because, you know, obviously, as kids, we don't think about the repercussions or consequences of what we say. Right. Oh, maybe, maybe this will give pause to a few, like, young kids are watching this show anymore, but anyways, uh, it, it's just, it's interesting to see that, because it's, it's very, like, that one, uh, what was the other one that I always used to hear, uh, th- that one I actually yelled was, uh, I, I know... Some of our friends and I accused our parents of treating us like slaves. See, you're treating us like yep. slaves. Uh, I wish you were dead. What was the other one that was real big amongst our friend group for accusing their parents of? I don't remember, but I, I was trying to remember. There's there's a story that's like just in the back of my memory about Ryan and something he yelled, but uh, it's not. It's not. I can't pull it to the fo- the focus. So. I don't want to tell it wrong, so I'll just have to save that for later. Okay. Uh, But then we see Malcolm and Reese in the bathroom, like, eavesdropping on Lois and Hal's bedroom. As they're talking about, you know, Lois is still crying, and they're, like, trying to piece together what's going on. Uh, She's been crying for hours, but, uh, you know, after the full-blown crying, it just became silent sobbing. Reese thinks that it's a mind game Lois is trying to pull on them. But Malcolm says, When's the last time you heard Mom crying and Dad yelling? Something is definitely up. Yep, astute observation, Malcolm. Also, I like that because it implies that Hal does a lot of uh, crying. Yes, I mean, of course he does. (laughs) Yeah, no, I... Look, I am perfectly fine with that. I think that's awesome. It's a good thing. You you go get it, Hal. You you let it out. You get your cry on. Absolutely. But then Malcolm says he's figured it out. Oh no. Then uh when we come back for the last scene of this plot line, uh Lois and Hal are in the bedroom, you know, looking happy and relieved ha- having gotten the news uh, about uh Hal's results. And Malcolm and Reese come in and, and they Tell Lois and Hal they figured out what's going on. 
they're getting a divorce. Uh, I mean, I I get it. I get why that's their first go-to. Yeah, honestly, like, it's not a bad uh, assumption on their part. Yeah, no, I, I do like that the boys tried to sleuth it out. I like that Malcolm and his, you know, super genius try, like, put the pieces together, but because he's so socially inept, they just didn't fit the right way. Uh, yes. <laughs> and... I also love the immediate look on uh, Lois's face. Yeah, so then they go on to say that, you know, they, they understand this has been a long time coming, and they both deserve to be happy, you know? They're just not right for each other. Reese says, uh, Lois needs someone who can control her better, and Hal needs someone younger. Wow, yeah, wow. And they say, you know, uh, shouldn't we be going with Dad off to a, a hotel now? And then they reassure Lois that uh, she'll still be a part of their lives. They'll see her every other weekend, and she can call whenever she wants. Then uh, Lois just l- looks them like in the eye and says, "Well, we've discussed it, and I'm getting full custody." <laughs> I love this line. I love the way that she delivers it. She's got that smirk on her face, and Hal immediately goes along with it. He gets the immediate look of realization and nods along with it. Like, I love this conclusion to the episode. It's so good. Uh, It it is a pretty great way to end the episode. Yeah, the culmination of the line itself and the way it's delivered, man, I laughed. Like, I I literally threw my head back laughing at this. It was so much fun, and I I absolutely enjoyed it. Uh, But that wraps the episode up. Let's go to our awards. Awards. And we will begin with our Roller Skating Kino Award. What did you give your Roller Skating Kino to, David? Uh, so I had a couple different things, but I, I had to give it to the, the fight ring uh, for two reasons. One, uh, the just the, the initial scene where it like cuts back and forth between their faces, and uh, you have Lavernia punching uh, Francis and him getting lifted back in and the way the crowd is blurred in the background. It reminds me very much of, like, the way they shoot stuff in, like, you know, Fight Club, uh, hence the reference to it earlier, and other, like, fighting movies like that. And I just love that sort of aesthetic and this idea of Francis fighting Lavernia in a fistfight. Also, the uh, tooth being knocked out and her spitting it across the counter. The culmination of it, though, is the double uh, punch to knock out. Yeah, yeah, fair fair enough. And I I do appreciate the uh, commitment to the bet there with the slow motion and everything. It's so good. Uh, It it is. Uh, But I chose to give my Roller Skating Keen Award to Dewey's Hamster Ball Fantasy. That was my backup. Just such a funny image of him in... Like, what, one of those giant balls that they do make, those, like, human-sized, like, just plastic hamster ball fanes. Yep. Just walking through the neighborhood, and then the, you know, ending with him flattening Malcolm and Reese. It's such a little brother fantasy. 
It is. It's just so cartoony and fun. I love it. Yeah, no, it's it's a great choice. I just I I I couldn't stop thinking about Fight Club during the fight scene and the fight ring, which is why I chose that. Otherwise, I would have gone with the uh, Dewey Hamster Ball as well. Fair enough. And what are you giving your hot dog with mustard on it award? Your award for the best line. Uh, well, I went with a Dewey line, and it's when he's talking to Bernard, and he says, is your brain big enough to get your feelings hurt? Mine either. I, <laughs> it's so funny, and it's so dismissive, but I, I just, I love it. I love that Dewey thinks about that, and then also just kind of this self-realization of, yeah, I don't really care. I'm, I'm just going to do me. Like, it's such a Dewey <laughs> moment, and I love it. Uh, that was a good lie, but I went with one from Reese. Uh, when Malcolm has revealed the tunnel, and they're talking <laughs> about how Lois is powerless now, uh, he says, yeah, now she's just a crazy old lady we have to live with. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it just is so, it, it's a funny line, and it's also just so telling of how they see Lois, like, purely through the terms of this power dynamic yeah like if she no longer has power of them she is no longer their mom right yeah exactly the the part that makes her mom is the part that makes her scary yes yeah i love that uh well which of the plot lines did you give the a plot of your heart um i gave it to the d plot uh for dewey because i love the uh, hamster ball scene, like we've already discussed. I love the hamster ball with the hamster in it that he fills with food. Just the way that looked. Uh, and, of course, it's Dewey having adventures and misadventures with another animal. So I love it. I, I love that Dewey is this sort of friend to the animals. I, I love that. And it continues. You know, you have Dewey was you know, friend to the insects, and now he's friends to the animals. I just, I love it. Dewey's great. He's a perfect angel. You can't convince me otherwise. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I also chose the D plot. Uh, I, I love Bernard. I, I love his little relationship with Bernard and his, you know, plot to try to get a dog out of this. It's all, all, all just so good. Yes. Uh, and of course, uh, See Bernard go off into the distance, uh, never to be seen again. I feel like that's definitely not true. No, it's true every time I say it, David. No, I feel like every time you say it, it means I need to be looking for a cameo of a freaking hamster or Spangler or someone that we're going to see again later. Nope, we never saw Bernard again. Don't lie to me. I would never. And uh, who did you have as your favorite character? For for me, it lines up with my favorite plot lines. These things often do. I chose Dewey as my favorite character. Yeah, no, 100%. I love Dewey. I love the relationship with Bernard, like you mentioned. Uh, and yeah, I, I absolutely love it. And I love the, the recreation of the scene where he's trying to, you know, shoo away Bernard and <laughs> telling him to go. I didn't love you. Yes, that, that is a gag that never gets old to me. And who did you choose to give your Cloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting? I actually gave it to Christopher Masterson. I liked the F plot in this, and I thoroughly enjoyed his performance uh, of getting the shit kicked out of him. 
it's not always a thing to do convince uh, that's easy to do convincingly, and he did. Um, as well as I just like that sort of power struggle between uh, him and Lavernia. I love the scene where he comes and apologizes to her with a really shitty Francis level apology. Um, and she starts to think that he's hitting on her and his facial expression as it dawns on him what she's saying. I just, ah, it's so good. Fair enough. Uh, I chose Jane Kazmerk. That's fair. I, th- I think she did a really good job of sort of capturing the, the like, there, there's, you know, something wrong under the surface in a lot of the scenes without, you know, uh, spelling it out. And in a lot of the scenes, like, with the boys... Yeah. Uh, in, in addition to, like, the more straightforward scenes uh, between her and Hal. Uh, and then the, like, cinching moment was that final moment, because that that is a joke that, like, entirely rests on her delivery, and she just nails it so well. I, I 100% agree. That that moment is what, like, closed the deal for me. Yeah, no, I she's absolutely phenomenal in this. Um, and I, I agree that tonally this whole episode not only her performance but just the scenarios that they put her in is so good at capturing that sort of you know the adults know something's wrong they're trying to let people know but also not trying to let people know at the exact same time you know it's that that sort of cry for attention and support that we need but we've been taught to hold it back like i see that in people so often in my line of work and she does it so well. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it's absolutely great. Like, like and, I, and I will say, uh, to his credit, like, like, I was through the episode, like, going back and forth between her and Brian Cranston. But like I said, it was that final moment that really uh, made me give it to her over him. Because I, I think they both do a great job of that in, the, in this episode. Yeah, I 100% agree. Moving on to our OK Boomer Award, our award for the moment that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. I chose, uh, it's the the scene, like, after they've been caught, where they're, you know, all in the kitchen in the middle of the night, and it's a really small thing that, you know, you would never catch, David. Wow. Uh, but Dewey is sitting there eating no, cereal no, out no, of a Kellogg's. No, <laughs> this is not your fact. This is not Kellogg's your, no. No, Pops no, Fox. no, no, and you no, know, I just no, immediately no. upon seeing that, just, I was like, "Jacob, wow, shut up!" That, that really takes me back. And then I did, you know, Ugh. some extra research, learned a lot about how Kellogg's has gone no, through, you, you know, a bunch I of did. different rebrandings over the course of its time. No, uh, and you know, there, there's some crazy stories. And like Jacob. one time, they like accidentally Jacob. had Jacob. like a racist thing on the Dude, back of a pop box. Would you stop regurgitating information <laughs> I gave you? Oh my God, the audience has got to be sick of hearing this shit also fuck you this is why you went first is because you were going to steal that from me i hate you so much i did have whoa, a backup whoa. but god i hate you uh, is is it is it the fruit loops box that's uh visible in the same scene on top of the fridge that that's also a very distinct early 2000s design it certainly is <laughs> i hate you so much <laughs> the cereal boxes are my thing <laughs> no david they're my thing i oh i'm gonna strangle you Oh my! Uh, so what do you have? What, what's what's your OK Boomer award, David? My OK Boomer award is Jake sucks. No, ah, uh, God, I hate you. Class pet. The fact that there's a class pet and that they're allowing the children to take it home. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I don't know if that still goes. on. I don't think that still goes on. Yeah, but I, I, it's also one of those things. I'm like, 
I'm curious, like, if that was ever actually a common thing, or if that's just a thing from, like, TV. <laughs> I don't know. But regardless, I don't see it either way anymore. Like, it's not really a trope that you see as much. I think it was a thing in some places, but I think it was more of, like, an 80s, early 90s thing. Like, I think, realistically, as far as I know, in most places anyways, by, like, mid to late 90s, it had to have been phased out. Uh, now, I do right. know in the 2000-2001, there were some schools here in town that had class pets, but the kids weren't allowed to take them home. Yeah, uh, we had, like, a uh, hermit crab, like aquarium full of, of hermit crabs in third grade but yeah we were, we were never allowed to take them home right and, and even without us taking them home like half of them died over the school year dude and that's what makes me super like okay so it there's kind of class pets ish still um in in our town but not in the schools because the school is like you know they they don't want to no liability they do it right. at the Boys and Girls Club, but the weird thing is is that it's like spiders and snakes, including at one point they had black widows in cages in the in the Boys and Girls Club here, and I went, that's dumb. You guys don't know kids as well as I do, apparently. Look, kids have the built-in touch-it reflex. That, yeah, that, that's fair. Are you... you- you can like uh they they defang like spiders. No. And and treat them as pets. I know that's a thing. Yeah, tarantulas and stuff. Black widows aren't big enough to do that too. Fair enough. I I wouldn't know. Yeah, I I only know all this too because I I had to go in there for a work related thing once upon a time and m- one of the people who I work with her son works at the Boys and Girls Club. And, like, he's one of the psychopaths who catches these spiders and brings them in and, like, takes care of them and stuff. Okay. Yeah, that that, that is kind of weird. <laughs> it's super weird to me. Okay, well, that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Yeah. Uh, let's start with least shitty kid. Who did you have as least shitty kid? I chose, as least shitty son, the person who acted appropriately and with absolute morality in despite not having that massively in his character uh, i chose francis okay one i think that uh it was between him and dewey obviously agreed uh and francis went above his baser urges and apologized even though it was a shitty apology but he legitimately and genuinely apologized to Lavernia for commenting on her appearance uh, and for being sort of catty and snippy and and sniping at her. And I think that that was a very good move on Francis's part. And between that and actually, you know, standing his ground and until the whole mom thing, he wasn't willing to fight and he was standing by his principles, even though he's getting the shit kicked out of him. I admire that and good on you, Francis. Yeah, fair enough. I considered Francis for those same reasons, but I ended up choosing Dewey over him because Dewey saved a life in this episode. That's that's fair. He also smothered a hamster, but no. I mean, but Bernard Bernard's fine. Bernard has he's, superpowers he's then. out there. 
never to be seen again, but he's fine. Yeah, okay. He, he was making sure he had plenty of food for his trip. Uh-huh. He was thoughtful. Uh Look, I am all for Dewey propaganda, but there's no way the hamster lives. And Lance is a creep, and Dewey did the right thing by breaking the rules and freeing this hamster. Mm, we'll see. Uh, and who did you have as your shittiest kid? Uh, Reese, clearly. I also had Reese. It was Malcolm, but then when Reese, put, Reese pushed it over the line and passed his sort of curve when he uh, said, I wish you were dead. Ah, uh, see, it, it wasn't even that line for me that pushed him over the edge, because it's established this is like, you know, usual. Fair. Well, there's also the vandalism. There's also the vandalism. Yes. Yeah. And the multiple fires he committed <laughs> as Malcolm and Reese are trying to figure out why Lois is so upset. He Malcolm asks, did you do anything else? And Reese, like, runs through a list of things he's done, including two different fires. It's implied he set two different families' houses on fire. But Lois doesn't know says, about those. Yeah, nothing she knows about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that and on top of that... Also, the the line that we discussed in the summary when they think that Lois and Hal are getting a divorce, (laughs) and he tells Lois that she needs a husband that can control her better, and Hal needs someone younger. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Look, it's a real shitty Reese episode, okay? It is. I was trying to divert attention away from the fires, because I knew that was going to be a thing. Uh, <laughs> and that'll come up in the future when I try to give him least shitty kid in the future. Oh, Yeah, e- even for Reese, this is a pretty exceptionally shitty episode. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Well, that wraps up our awards, but we still have a couple segments remaining, starting with the Cranston Connection, which this week's is David's duty. Uh, Correct. Uh, And I went with the very obvious Cranston Connection here. I I know you were watching it with me, and we kind of discussed the Cranston Connection in its existence only. And, uh, you know, you pointed out that it was very obvious, and I thought so too. The hole in the boys' bedroom closet um, in the floor, which uh, Malcolm and Reese come back in and, you know, Lois and Hal catch them coming back through. This is clearly what inspired Walter White to hide his money under the floor in their little closet with the water heater when he was hiding his drug money. It's very obvious, Jake. Oh, yeah. Very obvious. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, really, it's it's basically the only thing you could choose in this episode. Yeah, 100%. Okay, well, with that, let's move to our last segment, David's Guessing Game. Which, for this episode, you predicted uh, that Hal would have a cancer scare, and that he would sort of accept his fate, and sort of go off the rails and go a, a little bit crazy... And then a part of that would be him, like, you know, going, like, extra lengths to try to, you know, uh, prove his uh, appreciation and love to both Lois and the boys. Which, uh, you know, you you pretty much, uh, you kind of nailed all of that. But you did also add the guess that the 
uh, boys would, as this is all going on, get in over their head in some sort of adventure and, like, need help. Uh, that they would either uh, be, be, like, going out, or they would either, like, lose something important over the course of their adventure and, you know, have to, like, get help getting it back, or they, they would need help, like, buying something. Uh, which was less successful, but overall, I, I feel like you got the broad stroke still, so I'm going to give you a 90%. Okay. I'm getting better at this game. Hey, hey you're, uh, season two, or season three is really, uh, starting out good for you. I like it. We'll see if that can continue as we go into Christmas. Christmas, huh? Yep. Ha. Huh. Oh, shit. Well, okay, so here, I, I know some things. I know that it is a Cloris Leachman episode. So clearly someone is going to be uh, dealing with Grandma. So I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to draw, or I'm going to draw from our experience and a little bit of deductive reasoning and the foreshadowing of having, you know, our guest on and everything. I, I know that it's a Cloris Leachman episode. I'm going to say that Grandma comes for Christmas, and the boys misbehave, and they pull, whether it's Lois-driven or Grandma-driven, I don't know. Uh, could very well be Grandma-driven, because she's, like, the villain, but it's also a really, it's a real Lois thing. But I think they're going to cancel Christmas, and they're going to do what Grandma did to us that one year, where we all come in, and there's, like, no decorations and no presents or anything, and they're all, like, hidden elsewhere, uh, and Christmas is canceled, probably because the boys did something awful. But if not, it could also just be a fight between Grandma and Lois. Okay, fair enough. Is there anything else you want to add? No, that's that's all I can guess. Because I just, like I said, uh, I'm really shooting into the stands with this one. I'm pulling from uh, our own history with this one. <laughs> I mean, that, that that is also, you know, a, uh, a, a thing that does, happens in sitcoms from time to time. It, it's not a bad guess. Fair. It does happen in sitcoms from time to time, and uh, you know, I still remember the Christmas where we walked in and there were no presents, and it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I don't remember that. You, I think I might have been either too young, or that was one of the years where we were moved away. Uh, you might not have been here for that one. Come to think of it, um, yeah, it was. It it was. Oh, you would have been in Hot Springs. I thought you guys came down for it. It wasn't as, like, dramatic as what I think is going to happen in the TV show, but, like, Grandma wanted to, like, mess with us one year, and so we came in, and you know the little table tree that her and Grandpa have? There was no presence under it or around it, like, normal. There was just the tree on the table, and it was really weird, and we did the whole, like, we went through everything. We ate and everything, and then... uh Right when it was time for presents, brought like bags of presents out from the back room and had us divvy them out because she wanted to mess with the younger kids. Like us older kids didn't really like care, but it was just weird and trippy. It's the only time during Christmas where I've seen that back corner of our grandparents' house bare. Were you not there for that? I don't think so. Oh, well, damn. If, if I was, I just don't remember it, which is also possible. Right. It, I, yeah, it would have been... It was before I moved away, so... It would have been while you were in high school. Uh, or middle school, in which case I could have been in Ohio. Oh, yeah. You know what? It might have been one of the Ohio years. You're right. Well, before we wrap this episode up, 
Uh, I do actually have a bit of trivia that we didn't cover. Ooh. And that is that this is the first episode of Malcolm the Middle that features no fourth wall breaks. Ah. Malcolm never talks to camera over the course of this episode. Uh, I noticed that. I actually noticed another thing, too. What's that? Uh, We don't get a montage, and this is a Todd Holland episode. Yeah, yeah, you're right. No montages. What the hell, Todd? Okay, well, that wraps this episode up. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast, which is also where we put up our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls. And if you want to join us live and have conversations with us like these, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream video games, interact with our chat, and have all sorts of different discussions. Thanks for listening, and remember, life is unfair. God damn it, cow. God damn it, cow.